0: Good morning everybody. It is good to see you. Welcome to Zion. For those of you that don't know me, I am Justin. I'm the pastor here. And uh man, God is at work. How many know that? And he is going to continue to work as we get into the word. Um and and Before we get started and I awkwardly drink my, my water throughout the sermon, I'm going to do that now. I'm going to turn around so you can't see me. I always think of Marco Rubio during the presidential debate. <laughs> He'll never live that down. <laughs> this is like six years ago. I just couldn't get that image uh, during worship out of my head of in Revelation, where they take out the scroll and John begins to weep, saying, who is worthy? Who is worthy? Nobody is worthy. And then all of heaven erupts in praise because they find someone who is worthy, and that is Jesus Christ to open the seal. Praise God for that. Uh, We uh, have, if you are new here, we've been going through a series in 1 John chapter 5. uh, I'm sorry, in 1 John, and we are in chapter 5 today. This is the last chapter of the book. This is a letter that the Apostle John, uh, who also wrote Revelation, who wrote the Gospel of John, has written to churches uh, that he was ministering to uh, we don't know which, but we know most likely in a modern-day Asia Minor. And he is writing to them because there are some things going on. There's, there's really a church split going on. Uh, and he is reminding them of the basics of, the, of, of their faith, the tenets of their faith. And over and over and over again, John keeps on talking about these three different things and that is our belief or our confession in Jesus, our love for one another and for God, and our obedience to all that God has commanded us. These three things, love, obedience, and belief. John keeps on coming back to these three things over and over and over again, and so today's passage is actually his culminating argument where he takes these three things, love, obedience, and belief, and he brings them all together to show how they are inseparable of one another. That they work together to produce the overcoming Christian. The overcoming Christian. And that's that's what we're going to talk about today, the overcoming Christian. Today we will figure out what it looks like to overcome... And to live in victory. And so we're going to read, you ha- you should have your, your Sunday sheet with you. We're going to read from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5 today. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. You can read along with me if you're online. Winnie will drop a link in and you can click on that and read with me as well. So it said, John says here, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? What we see here in this passage is a series of equations that John gives. And they, it's this, this series of equations starts with belief and it ends with belief. What does it say in verse one? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. In verse five, the ending where we're gonna end today says the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So we see this, this thing that starts with belief and ends with beliefs. Now, if you've ever, uh, you know, I think most people have done in the nether regions of their life, uh, calculus in college or in high school. And all I remember from calculus is it's a lot of things that equal each other. Um, and what you have to do is you always have to balance the equations. It can be some crazy equation on one side that equals this one thing on the other, and that crazy equation, you have all these things that equal each other, and they all sum up to each other, and that's how I kind of see John talking here is that he goes through all these lists of different things, and it starts with one thing, ends with the other, and they all equal each other. One goes to the other. And so what John is trying to make abundantly clear as he is bringing this letter to a close, as he is kind of wrapping up his argument, as, as he is saying that you, you cannot have one of these things without the other. In order to say that you have this, you have to have this other thing as well. Nothing can be separated from each other. If you have one, you have it all. And so you, you can't say that you believe in Jesus and hate the church, the body. It is impossible. If you believe in Jesus, then you also, what, love God's people. You, you can't say you love the church, that you have love abiding in you, yet not keep God's commandments. It is synonymous with each other. If you have one truly, then what? You have the other. And you can switch that around, basically. John keeps going. You can't say you believe in Jesus and hate the church. You can't say you believe in Jesus and hate God's people. But then you also can't say that you believe in Jesus and not keep God's commandments. Right? These are all intertwining, interlocking arguments that John has been making throughout the entire book, and now he is bringing it all together. You you can't say you love God and hate his people. This is all of these things are wrapped up together, working together, and John is making it crystal clear. Everything I've been talking about, everything I've written to you about, these are not mutually exclusive from one another. All of them are working together. All of them are produced in the what he calls the born-again Christian, this translation calls, but it's really the, the true word for it is to anybody to be fathered by God, anyone who is fathered by him because he uses that same word, Three times right in the beginning, right? Everyone who loves the Father, everyone who has been fathered by God, we know that they are the people fathered by God. This is who loves the Father, right? The, this, this word keeps on coming up. He's saying this, this is who it is. You cannot have one without the other. I want you to know literally one equals the other. You cannot claim to have love and not have obedience. You cannot claim to believe in Jesus and not love the people fathered by God. It is just impossible. And so the exact equation that John gives that one leads to the other is belief in Jesus equals being born in God or being fathered by God. Love of the Father equals love everyone else that is fathered by God. Love of God equals obedience of his commandments. And so as John is making this clear, he is bringing all these three arguments together. Everything that we've talked about literally every week, the last few months, has been about one of these three topics. Belief or confession, love, love of God, love of each other, or obedience to what God's commandments are in Scripture. And so then John stops and elaborates at this point of obedience. And he says this in verse three, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome, right? So he then explains what love is. He makes this equation that this is what it means to love God, that we keep his commandments. And then he stops. He says, and his commandments are not burdensome. Last week, we spent a lot of time defining what love towards one another is and what it looks like to love your Christian brother or your sister. Now, John, what he does is he defines Christian love towards God, right? We talked about Christian love, how if filled by the Spirit, there's this outer worldly love that we walk in towards other that is deeply sacrificial, that is deeply Christ-like, that is not pursuant of our own happiness, our own welfare, our own uh, uh, whatever we want to call it, dreams, but it is sacrificial of all those things to care for other brothers and sisters in the Lord. So now John defines love towards God. And he defines it, and I love these one-to-one definitions because it makes things very crystal clear. He defines it as obedience. Love towards God is not goosebumps during worship. It is not emotional responses to good times or hard times in our life. Many times I've, I've been guilty of this during a really good time, just like, God, you're the best. You So I love you. That's, that is not what John defines as love or going through something really hard and God is with you just like, God, thank you so much for going. I love you so much for walking through. Love is not emotional responses to circumstances. Love is not in talk only. You cannot define how much you love God by how often you tell God you love him. If if anybody has been in a significant relationship in their life, whether a relationship that is married or you've been with somebody for a long time, you've had a best friend in your life, you realize that love is not in talk. Right? Love is in action. The action John defines here is obedience. It is wholly and squarely, unemotionally obedience. This is love towards God. The world may define love a lot of different ways. I think, you know, everybody's obsessed with the five love languages. And so we start, we we let that seep into our relationship with God. Well, if I... They, we may define love with words, words of affirmation or gifts or time spent, right? So I, I give, you know, God all of my gifts, therefore I love him. Or I, I tell God how much I love him. I affirm him. That shows him I, I love him. Or I soak in God's presence all the time. That, that shows him how much I love him. But if you do all of those things, but you do not obey God, then you do not love him. This is the clear picture that John is defining for us here. And his definition is the definition that we take on for ourselves to now, ha- is how we define love in our life. So if we ever wonder, are we loving God? Don't ask the world for its definition. Don't ask Instagram for its definition. Don't ask YouTube for its definition. Don't ask the five love languages for its definition of love. Ask Scripture, what is the definition of love? And Scripture says it is obedience. Therefore, I will now say it is obedience towards God. And then, this is the beautiful promise that John gives. He stops to say this. His commandments are not burdensome, AKA, it is not hard to be his children and to obey him. It is not a lofty task to be given to love God in this way. Many times, when we talk about the commandments of God, we have the, the Pharisees in our mind, we have the fundamentalists the modern-day Pharisees in our mind. We have the legalists. We have the, the way we grew up with our, you know, crazy Baptist or crazy Pentecostal parents or grandparents that said you can't wear earrings or makeup and, you know, for uh, mainly this is a lot of women, you can't, so you can't wear pants, right? All these things you can't do for guys. You gotta wear a suit. You can't have a beard. You gotta be clean cut. You can't have a tattoo. All these different things. That's when we, what we think of many times when we think of the commandments of God. And they are burdensome. In fact, Jesus said the commandments of the Pharisees are like weights being put on people that the people cannot carry, that they cannot hold, that they cannot take with them. And so this is not, what does Jesus say about the commandments of God in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30? He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When we follow Jesus, we accept his yoke. The yoke is the thing the oxen used to put on their neck that would direct them, that would be the the, the thing that they carried into work every day for their life. It is Jesus says, my yoke is easy. What you have to pull behind you is not hard. His calling, saying yes to Jesus, being obedient to Jesus is is not something that is going to be tiresome. It is going to be restful. The burden that we carry is not going to be a hard burden. It's going to be an easy one. That's the promise from Jesus. It's gonna be a light one. But then John explains some of us, maybe we know the true commandments, what it means to be sacrificially loving towards others like we talked about yesterday or, or last week, what, what it means to, to truly obey God, not to walk in the things of this world and the ways of our flesh, but to walk with the fruit of the Spirit. We, we may think of that and think, you know, that's pretty hard too. Well, John explains why it is not burdensome in verse 4. He says, for everyone who has been born of God or fathered by God overcomes the world. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I want you to hear this. John is saying, whatever the world has to throw at you. And John defines the world in chapter two. He says, the desires of the flesh And the desires of the eyes, the materialistic things, the pride of life, whatever it is, materialism, consumerism, pornography, security outside of God, money, ungodly dating, angry parenting, whatever it is that the world throws at you, everyone who has been born of God, whatever it is, you overcome the world. All the things that tempt us, that cause us to desire the things of the world, to walk astray. John is reminding them here that when you follow Jesus, when the Spirit of God is in you, what did he say just to chapter four? That he that is in you is what? Greater than he that is in the world. That the one, the tempter, the deceiver... The liar that wants to come to devour you. Greater is God that is in you than he that is in the world. The prince of the power of the air. All the temptations that he will have to put before you. All the things that he will cause you to lust after with your eyes. Maybe to covet after what your neighbor has. Maybe to desire that promotion more than you want to be with God. Maybe to look after that person that you, you want, you, you crave, you are, you are after to, to, to go on that website or to binge that show, the things that we lust after, the things that we see on Instagram that we desire, the, the pride of life, the things that we buy constantly so we can accumulate material materials after material after material. He says, Don't worry. Because for everyone who has been born of God, if if, if you are God's child, then you overcome the world, all of that stuff that would try to tempt you, all of the things that would want to lead you astray, all of the things that would try to bring your heart to look for the left or to the right and stop looking upon Jesus, I want you to know that you have overcome. When you have Christ in you, the world cannot overcome you. When you are born of God, The truth is that all of those things have no power. And that is why John can say that the commands are not burdensome because all of those commands that felt impossible to follow in the past, I know what it's like to be in bondage in sin where it feels impossible to walk in freedom from no matter how little that sin is or how big we perceive that sin to be, that without Christ, following the commands are impossible. But with Christ, it goes from impossible to not burdensome, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Ephesians 6, chapter, 10, uh, chapter 6, verse 10, something that I was meditating on this week with some people, says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It is the strength of God that we are putting on that makes this, not burdensome to follow God, to overcome the world. It, it is not a, a strength of our own that, that we put on, that we have to psych ourselves up for, that we have to make happen with a special dance or a, a certain chant. What, is it, what does Paul say in Ephesians? He says, Be strong in who? In the Lord and in the strength of his might, not in your personal strength, not in your personal ability. Not in your personal willpower, but in the strength of God. What? Then the armor of who? Not the armor of Justin. Not the armor of that Instagram preacher. Not the armor of entertainment, but what? The armor of God. is what you put on so that when the wiles of the enemy, when the temptations of the world, when the temptations, the the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, when they come in to try to bring us, what will happen? We will overcome because we are fully prepared for all the wiles of the enemy. We have to understand who we are walking with, who we have. With us, So often we are so scared of the world. Christians are constantly living in panic of the world. Oh my gosh, did you hear about this new law that was passed? Oh my gosh, did you hear about what they're doing in the schools now? Oh my gosh, did you see what they put in that show? Or oh my gosh, did you see what Hollywood is trying to subtly teach me and my children this day? Guess what? There is nothing to be scared of. I don't walk around in fear of what the world is doing, The world is passing away and everything in it. The world, everything that it has to offer does not concern God's plan. It's not gonna shake my family. It's not gonna shake my life. Why? Because I'm living in the strength of the Lord, not in the strength of what America has to offer me today, not in the strength of what entertainment in Hollywood. I could not care less what Hollywood's faith is like. They, 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 they are not proclaiming to be Christian. Therefore, I have no judgment with them. That is God to judge in him alone. And whatever the enemy will throw at me with all of his powers, with all of his kingdoms, it does not matter. Why? Because I have armor that is already promised to stand against everything that he can bring at me and everything that his minions and his world can try to attack me with. And so when I walk around in fear of the next big thing that is going to happen, Then it is the same as saying, well, the strength that I have is not strong enough to overcome. And there's only one reason for that is because you have not been walking in the strength of the Lord. You have been walking in your own strength. And let me tell you, if I'm walking in my own strength and I'm walking in fear, we have the strength of Christ to fight what would have been impossible to fight before And so John says the end come the 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 end result of overcoming. When, when when we talk about overcoming, when we say we have overcome the world, that he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world, and when we say that, yes, the world would offer the lust of the eyes, the, the world will offer the lust of the flesh, the world will offer the pride of life or materialism, when all those things are offered and I overcome, when I have victory, when we talk about having victory, when we talk about overcoming the world, I hear so many things about what that means. There's so many things attached to it. We hear it in stories like this: like I was struggling with doubt, but finally I got that promotion. Thank God for victory. Mm, Thank God. I will overcome. Right? We we've attached so many things to overcoming the world. Rarely do we look at scripture and say, what does it mean to overcome? the world, because our victory just looks like more of materialism. A lot of times our victory just looks like the pride of the eyes or or the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, just us getting all of those things. But how does John define victory? He says, the victory at the end of every trial, I want you to hear this, the victory at the end of every trial, the victory at the end of every persecution, at the end of every temptation of lust is this, our faith. That is the victory. That is what it means to overcome. In verse four, he says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Then he equates it. He says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I want you to understand what this means. In the early church, overcoming the world looked like keeping the faith after your neighbor was martyred. After Nero may have drug another Christian into the the rings for sport before one of the horse races and set them on fire or had them eaten by a lion, victory looked like having faith in the midst of persecution. In Afghanistan, victory may look like right now, faith in the midst of being killed. Victory doesn't look like, oh, we're going to erect a church and the Taliban is going to say, okay, good job, guys. Keep on going with your faith. No, victory is that when they drag us through the streets, when they take us out of our homes, when they kill our neighbors, our friends, and our family, They have not taken our faith. In today's church, in the West, overcoming the world looks like keeping the faith in the midst of a godless culture that will redefine every biblical word and meaning until all definitions exclude God. Victory is at the end of the media saying, well, nope. This is the way you have to think now. This is the way you have to talk now. Victory at the end of, well, this is the wave on Instagram now. This is the wave on TikTok now. Nope, now this word actually means this now. No, victory is at the end of all of that, at the end of deconstruction, at the end of whatever definitions that the world wants to give us now, at the end of every, everything that culture is telling us, how we should believe, how we should talk, and what we should say. Victory is at the end of that, that they have not robbed our our faith. Living victorious is not living with perfect health and loads of money. Living victorious does not always mean you are on the other side of the storm in life. Living victorious is living in faith despite everything the world and the devil can throw at you, take from you, or give you that you did not want. You know, one truth that I thought as I was preparing the sermon was that some of us have been living in victory even though we've still been waiting for it. Did you hear that? We have been waiting because we've defined the storm by us not having material things and us not having what we want. And so we've been waiting and saying, God, I don't have what I want. I haven't gotten that promotion. I haven't gotten that money. I haven't gotten that investment. I haven't become rich. I haven't had these things yet. And so we've been waiting, waiting, waiting for our victory to come. We were saying, man, it's been really dry. And what we mean is I haven't gotten what I wanted yet, but I'm going to persevere, Lord, And maybe times have been tough. I know times have been tough. COVID has made it tough on everybody. I don't care what the problem or issue in your life has been. There's been one constant factor. Whatever you have struggled with in your life, COVID has made it worse. Isolation, loss of family and friends, being knocked out of routines, loss of job, all of things. Whatever you struggled with, COVID has made it worse. And we have been waiting for COVID to go away to walk in victory again. But let me tell you, your victory has already come if you have been walking in faith this whole time with God. If you've kept your faith after you've been through hardships, then let me tell you, sister or brother, you are victorious. You have been walking in victory in Christ. You have overcome the world. If you've been through hell and you still call on the name of Jesus, then stop waiting for a nice car and a bigger check to declare victory because you can declare it right now. Consider the apostles in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says this, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, Like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Even to the angels, a spectacle. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And you hear what Paul is saying, how he describes Himself with the other apostles, homeless, hungry, thirsty, poorly dressed. I know some of you, it's like, that's the limit, Pastor. We <laughs> you could keep your Christianity and your victory if you want. I won't ever hit that one. Persecuted. I know that hit a little too home. We didn't get a lot of laughs for that. It's okay. God still loves you. Praying for your victory. Persecuted, slandered, reviled, a spectacle to all and scum of the earth. But guess what? They were living in victory. They were living in victory and had overcome the world. Why? Because they never lost their faith. They never lost their faith. Many of them, at the end of their life, we would have said they were defeated because they were martyred, hung upside down on the cross, beheaded, exiled, killed, stoned. But guess what? They overcame. They were victorious. Nothing that the world could throw at them, nothing that the world could offer them, could have them lose their faith in Christ. Let me tell you this if you keep your house, wealth, and health, but your faith dies, you have lost. The world has overcome you. Many people will stop going to God and think, well, I don't need Him anymore because I have everything I want. You have lost. The world has overcome you. Let me tell you, if you were sitting in your home, struggling with doubt because you messed up or someone hurt you, or you watched something that really shook your faith, and maybe you went down a bad path, but eventually you ended up back at Jesus, I can tell you right now, you are victorious. You may be a little broken, maybe some of your trust and money is gone, but you are living in victory, my brother and my sister. In verse 5, John says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? There are many nights that I screamed why God or how God or when to God and all my pain and all the attacks of the enemy and all the times I thought that it was too hard and I wanted to give up. I've only been left with one thing that I believe in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. And those moments where I realize everything may fail around me, but I still have him and that is who I cling to. That is the moment that we have overcome the world. I want you to redefine what victorious living looks like. Stop defining it, what success and victory in the world defines it as, but define it how Scripture defines it, how Paul as the apostle defined it, how John here defines it, that no matter what the world may throw at us, No matter what the world may try to do to us, no matter what the world may say to us, I will have our faith in Jesus. And when my faith is in Jesus, I am living in victory in him and I have overcome the world. There is nothing that will anger the devil more. There is nothing that will anger his plans that will frustrate what he wants to do more than everything that he can do to you, he does to you. He touches your body, touches your mind, he touches your heart. And at the end of it, you say, you cannot take my faith. I will walk in trust and trust alone in him and nothing will shake that. Belief, love, and obedience are all working together, producing a victorious faith that cannot be shaken by the world. No matter what temptation, no matter what attack, no matter what doubts and hardships come my way, my faith in Jesus will remain. Understand that. Many of you have been really hard on yourself because your life has felt incredibly bruised and broken. And by the standards of the world, you have deemed yourself a failure. And you've allowed that thought of failure to enter into your relationship with God. And you think now your father in heaven thinks you're a failure too because you didn't get every decision right or you lost at this or this didn't go according to plan. But Jesus is looking at you right now. God the Father is looking at you right now and he's saying, well done, my faithful servants, because you have not lost your faith. It doesn't matter what kind of clothes you wear. It doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have. It doesn't matter what people would say you are and look at you. Remember, they murdered Jesus on the cross because they did not like him. But he was victorious when he resurrected. And many of us would deem murder by the world as a failure in life because we have been too busy trying to have the world love us instead of loving God. Amen. And no matter what people have said or you have felt, or the world would title you, today walk away, knowing if your faith remains, your victory remains in Jesus, and you have overcome. The world. Stand with me and pray. Father, I know that many people here are living with the word failure hanging over their head, but you have called them victorious and faithful. Change our definitions, God. Lord, that we would see how our confession, how our love and how our obedience works together, God, producing what you have called victorious, faithfulness in the name of Jesus. As being overcomers in your name, with your strength, with your armor, God wants to shake from your heart today this definition of failure and success. And he wants to put a new one, the biblical one, in your heart and in your mind because some of you have been striving and it's been burdensome to stay victorious and to overcome. some of you have been walking in victory, but your head has been down like you've been defeated. When you cling to Jesus, I want you to know this, to walk away with this today. When you cling to Jesus, you live in victory. Know that God looks at you today and he sees an overcoming child. He sees a victorious child. He won't ever look at you with your title, your accumulations, your materials, your resume, and say, what have you done? No, he will look at your face and say, have you clung on in the storm? My good and faithful child, you are victorious. Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now Wherever we are, God, let your presence and your power come. Reorient our heart, redefine these words. That like Paul, that we can walk around homeless with nothing detested by others, but with our head high because we know we're victorious in you. we can look at all you have called us to do and say it is not burdensome God because we cling to Jesus it starts in belief and it ends in belief and we cling to that today while we worship at any moment we're going to have our leaders on the side here to pray if you want prayer for anything I encourage you come receive prayer but while we worship I also encourage you have some time to sing with the saints he doesn't say your faith he says our faith remember that we walk through this together and as we sing together let the songs of the saints encourage you to live in victory in Christ amen